The United States is in the midst of a political crisis not seen in more than a generation. The insurrection at the U.S. Capitol has revealed what happens to people when they believe dozens of little lies and choose to act on their anger from believing those lies. Several people are dead. Thousands potentially affected with COVID, America's standing in the world has swooned. All this, and questions still remain about what this means for democracy. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Michael Smolens, you're the political columnist for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and it's been a historic uh, past five days since the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Let's start with the broad response. How have you been processing the news since Wednesday? Well, it's actually taken a little bit of time. I think everybody was sort of shocked by what was happening. And once the Capitol was actually breached, people, you know, were expecting, I think, trouble more so than, frankly, some authorities seem to in Washington. But I think it has sunk in more once people have been able to process it, especially seeing the videos of, uh, you know, how the, the, the Capitol police officers were were beaten and otherwise one was almost crushed to death. Uh, when those started circulating, I, I think it, it really heightened uh, what people were already feeling that that this is a real serious situation, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a mob and an insurrection. Mm-hmm, certainly, and we're still learning a little bit more about exactly what happened as we're you know getting information from social media that many of the insurrectionists actually posted. What are some key questions that still remain unanswered? What are some things that you hope we learn in the next several days? Well, I think one of the key ones is getting back to what we were just talking about, how, you know, you have to learn from the failures of this. And, and you know, I mean, I've been paying attention from a distance, but not that closely. The, the notion that they weren't prepared for, uh, you know, a violent encounter really sort of d- confuses me because we had violent groups out there, you know, in plain sight, planning to do some some trouble. Uh, what I don't think we expected was, uh, you know, the potential for serious harm being done to members of Congress. Uh, you know, people had zip ties, uh, handcuffs and um, and other weaponry. You know, they were looking to hunt these people down and Lord knows what they would have done if they had found them. So, you know, the Capitol Police were overwhelmed, uh, but those that were there actually did quite a job at, at protecting people. Uh, so I think that's a lot of it. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's sort of the, the reckoning of um you know, white supremacy role in this that's got to come forth. You know, people talk about healing and that's going to be very difficult because, uh, you know, especially with the impeachment process coming up, people say, oh, don't impeach. That that could divide people more. Uh, Are we really going to get more divided than this? Yeah. Just a couple days ago, the New York Times reporter, Stead Herndon, wrote a story how, you know, Last week started with the election of a black man and a, a Jewish man to the Senate from Georgia. And the next day, you had, you know, kind of the last gaffe of the Confederacy coming back. And that's that's kind of a summation of American politics and American history and a series of events of our constant battles with race and just the inability to, you know, see each other as human when, in the end, we all are Americans. Well, you know... Th- Yes, and people are going to have to just confront the realities more. Um, a lot of folks, particularly uh, you know, uh, black leaders, are saying when people say this isn't America, they're saying, "Oh, yes, it is." Uh, you know, you can even look back at the electoral college, and that was all fashioned to uh, to give po- more power or equal power, quote unquote, 
to the, the, the slave states. I mean, so, you know, this is what's happening here has been ingrained in the country's history for a long time. Fortunately, to a degree, it has been sort of suppressed. Uh, people, you know, it, there was shame in, in, in all that. What has happened in recent years is that that has been allowed to not just fester, but to be openly, uh, you know, paraded around, encouraged by the President Donald Trump. But, you know, while he deserves a lot of blame, uh, these attitudes have been there and now they're just exposed in the open. So, uh, you know, is that going to help? I don't know. But uh, obviously we're in some serious times. You know, some people think something's going to happen great when he's out of office uh, on January 20th. This isn't going to end for some time. Yeah, it's like in many ways, you know, Trump isn't the, the disease. Trump is a, a symptom of something, you know, bigger than that. And I think as a nation, we have to reckon with, you know, what decisions have led to people, you know, not believing in the promise of the American experiment. Like there needs to almost be like a, you know, investment in civic education to understand what even this place is meant to be. Yeah, well, it's going to be tough because people are so locked in their own realities that they just, uh, people don't want to listen anymore to some degree, some people. Mm -hmm. Let's refocus to San Diego. Uh, you wrote a column last week asking, you know, kind of detailing the responses from our congressional delegation. Can you contrast the biggest differences that we saw between uh, Sarah Jacobs and Daryl Issa? Well, uh, Issa voted uh, to uh, challenge uh, the, the election results, the electoral college results in two states, Arizona and Pennsylvania. You know, basically uh, trying to, to overturn the election, which uh, over 100 members of the House did and many members of the Republican members of the Senate did. Sarah Jacobs, uh, you know, she obviously was moving in the direction of certifying the votes, uh, but also, um, you know, she, you know, she called out people that when she wrote her, her op-ed for the Union Tribune, it was before the votes were taken, but she was saying people that are encouraging the undermining of the election or trying to, you know, over turn the legitimate election should be considered for removal of Congress. So she's talking about people like Daryl Issa. So it'll be interesting as we move down the line, that's probably not going to get too far, that section of the 14th Amendment, but it may come up. And uh, I think the tensions will be even more raw within our delegation. Um, you know, she called, as many have done, for the invoking the 25th Amendment, which would mean the vice president and the majority of cabinet, you know, would vote to remove uh, the president from office immediately. That's almost certainly not going to happen. And now, as we know, articles of impeachment have been drawn up and introduced. And on Wednesday, there will be a vote uh, for that. But, you know, clearly we'll have four the four Democratic members in favor of the uh, articles of impeachment and the, uh, the previous vote on the 25th Amendment, the recommendation that that be invoked. Uh, Issa certainly, from his comments, will not. Uh, he's continued his uh, critical comments about the election today and, um, frankly, some of his Democratic colleagues. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you explain a little more Daryl Issa's relationship with Trump and Trumpism? Because I feel like one of the kind of banner moments in Issa's history is the Benghazi hearings, which certainly played a role in the framing of Trump versus Clinton in 2016 and before that. Can you kind of recap the history of Issa and how he, you know, may have aided Trumpism in a sense? Notable partisan warriors in Congress during the Obama administration. He fancied himself, frankly, as a prosecutor of the Obama administration. It wasn't just Benghazi. There were other uh, uh, 
you know, investigations that his House Oversight Committee conducted. And he had taken credit, frankly, for Hillary Clinton losing to Donald Trump. She, he said that his Benghazi hearings helped damage her politically, and that would contributed to her loss. So, you know, the notion that these were not partisan moves, uh, you know, there certainly things are worth looking into. But the Benghazi hearings really didn't turn up much of anything. And there were multiple hearings uh, or investigations uh, that were primarily aimed at damaging Hillary Clinton. Now, ISA also uh, was an early uh, supporter of Trump, not the first one. And frankly, I think he supported another Republican candidate, but he jumped on board very quickly and became one of the highest profile members of Congress to really uh, support Trump. So he's been in the Trump camp for some time. You know, I mean, he's always had the view of being a partisan warrior or the image of being a partisan warrior, but kind of a hard nosed businessman. I mean, he is uh, apparently the richest man or one of the richest people in Congress. He's been very successful. Uh, but, you know, the, the the notion that he's sort of fallen into the Trump false narrative about the election and other things is a little bit new, I think. But, uh, you know, he's continuing down that path, as are many Republicans. Mm-hmm. And certainly by his statements that he's made in the past week, you know, he still wants to court people who are Trump voters, you know, from the ones that are fringe to the ones that are moderate. So it appears that he still sees that there's a political future in Trumpism, whatever that looks like in the next several years. Well, and maybe that will change. Some people think this is a watershed moment where a lot of people will pull away from that. We'll have to see. People have been making predictions of Trump, you know, losing uh, support for some time, and that just hasn't happened. Yes, there's a real political component uh, to this. Does uh, Daryl Issa support, you know, an insurrection or a coup, as some people call it, of the United States? I don't know, but probably not. But I think this is very, you know, politically motivated uh, because the Republicans, you know, not to sound sympathetic to, to their, their cause right now, but they're in a tough spot because these people are now in control of a lot of the party emotions and mechanism and to, to you know, to go against them. Look what happened to Senator Lindsey Graham. I mean, he was, you know, heckled at, at the airport uh, because he finally abandoned Trump. They were calling out to, you know, some people were calling out to hang Mike, uh, Mike Pence, the vice president, when he decided to go along with the certification. So it's a, it's a dangerous crowd, but, you know, uh, you know, and siding up with them, you know, Riding a mob like that doesn't always work out. And I think that that could be a real concern. I mean, on the other, also, you know, ISIS comments have been very moderate about uh, what actually happened. I mean, he's now accusing the Democrats of overplaying things, of, of even overplaying the deaths at the Capitol. And he constantly goes back to where was all this outcry about the violence during some of the Black Lives Matter uh, protests last year. So, you can see where he's coming from on that. But uh, given the video of uh, how the police were treated, beaten and uh, almost killed, well, in one case, one did die. Uh, it's just sort of remarkable that a Republican congressman would uh, talk like that. Yeah. And it's like it's it's kind of understood in the subtext, but it's worth saying that the Black Lives Matter protests were sparked after the death of George Floyd and systemic racism across the country. While this rally is based off of the false belief that there was massive elective rigging and, you know, some shadow force is preventing Trump from being president. Like one is based on a truth. The other is based on a lie. So it's it's kind of different. You, know, you need to keep those in mind in a sense. And, uh, thank you for pointing that out. Yes, that's, that's absolutely the case. And, um, you know, it's also worth pointing out and people get 
outraged, I've written of this a couple times, but the vast majority of the Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful. Yes, there's some, and we had here in La Mesa, one that, that, that really went off the rails. Uh, and there were some people trying to instigate things. That's not excusing them, and they should be held accountable too. But I think that's all that people saw, the videos of the fires and things like that. And you had hundreds of these protests where, where we really didn't have those kinds of uh, incidents. Uh, again, not excusing anything, but it's, uh, you know, it just seems an odd time to bring up what might be a legitimate concern about violence at other protests in the same breath as what's going on here at the U.S. Capitol. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking back at kind of the Trump era broadly, political reporters have described scenarios in which in private Republicans will say things that are entirely different from when they post online and social media. It's like they're consciously knowing that I'm speaking to a reporter. I want to sound this way. I want to you know sound pro-business or something. While online, they may you know play footsie with some of these fringe groups. Have you experienced that kind of you know different messages in San Diego during the Trump era? Yes, uh, from, you know, not even just Republicans, but some, you know, independents, uh, one former Democrat who's pro-business uh, and thought, you know, would explain away a lot of Trump's behavior as just early on anyway, sort of an act. I think that's changed now that, that you know, he's doing certain things that, in terms of the, the racism tone and some of the hardline immigration stuff. Kind of people would look past that and say, well, he's a jerk, but you know, I like his economic policies or something like that. It's very hard to separate the two. But uh, there was a classic uh, quote from an anonymous Republican official after the election and, you know, Trump sort of carrying on with the denial of the election and the lies saying, what's the harm of humoring him? It's just a matter of weeks and so forth. Well, we've seen what the harm of humoring him is. And, you know, this notion of, of being conciliatory to certain folks that are not going to be conciliatory back, uh, you know, I think people have to rethink that. Hmm. And I guess more broadly, what are some of the ways that the rules of politics have shifted, you know, during the Trump era? Because it's worth noting that the rise of Trump is also connected to the rise of social media and the death of local news and the changes that we communicate. The earth has shattered since, you know, 2016. What rules do you think still or don't apply? Well, that's a tough question. Um, you know, there have always been very harsh aspects, accusations, threats in politics since the beginning of the country. I mean, we've had, you know, people shot uh, and uh, the and people have lied in politics from the beginning of, of time. But there just seems to be such a de detachment of, you know, facts and that the ability of people to, to believe those, you know, not even alternative realities, but wrong and unfactual realities uh, is heightened because you mentioned social media. How you get the genie back in the bottle, I don't know. It's going to be very difficult because uh, these people are more, uh, you know, energized now almost with the, 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 the loss and what's happening. You know, we've got a critical few days coming up with the inaugural uh, over the weekend. There's going to be protests and I'm sure clashes in state capitals and maybe even here in San Diego. So we'll, we'll see. It's uh, going to be a rough ride. Mm -hmm. And in the coming months, there needs to be accountability and justice for people who did this, who attacked other people who, you know, violated a number of laws. But during this time, it's also important that, you know, justice is fair, things are followed. What advice would you give to leaders who are, you know, tasked with 
holding these people accountable, what would you advise them to make sure that people are held to account, but at the same time, don't further the divisions that already exist? Well, you know, I mean, let's take it with Trump to begin with. Uh, you know, some people say, oh, you're just going to further divide the country. Is a country really going to be any further divided? Should he be held accountable for, uh, you know, his inciting of what happened, uh, the riot at, at the U.S. Capitol? Um, I think that, you know, I mean, people need to follow the rule of law and, uh, uh, you know, sort of mollifying or coddling extremists, hoping that they won't get worse. Uh, there's not been a lot of evidence that that's that's happening. Uh, you know, do you do you do you come down with leaded boots in a in a, you know a militaristic, uh, you know, almost fascist way? That's probably not the way to go. But uh, I think you know, rounding up the suspects and what's going on here will start sending messages when these people think how, realize how real it was. I mean, some of the video of people that were, you know, at the riots were sort of shocked that, that they responded by the police. You know, there was one classic woman who said, "Well, they're shooting at us. They should be shooting at the you know the BLM protesters." I mean, that's sort of the the level of what they have been led to believe that somehow they are different than, um, you know, other people that cause similar problems. And I think that, you know, once they get a strong message uh, through law enforcement, uh, that'll be a key thing. You know, I mean, uh, Joe Biden's got a tough road ahead. He's still talking unity. And, you know, some people say, well, good luck with that. But uh, I think that, that, you know, there's no silver lining here, but maybe, just maybe enough people that are not the extremists that were in the Trump camp or whatever would just be revolted enough to say, you know, we've really got to take a different look at things. That doesn't mean they have to support a liberal agenda, but it does mean that they have to start, you know, listening more to the other side and reassessing uh, maybe their views. Yeah, certainly. And a number of the takes that I'm reading is we have the mechanisms and the laws to hold everyone to account whatever crime they committed, large or small, during this rally turned mob. You know, there's real no need to have, you know, another kind of layer of domestic terrorism laws written because we have the tools to prosecute these people. You know, the the work just has to begin of identifying everyone and making sure that they are charged and go through the rule of law, because that's the only way, I guess, to really bring back confidence in the system. We're a nation of laws. If we enforce those laws, it does send a message to even people who are living in an alternate world. Well, I, I think even as important and perhaps more importantly is the intelligence in finding out who these people are, what they're planning. I mean, lay people, not in, you know, were that, that, you know, are, are sort of watchdogging these groups. They were sending up red flags about what was coming and somehow, you know, government under Trump uh, did not follow that um, or accept that. Uh, that's going to be a key thing. I mean, they, they did a, a, frankly, a fantastic job when the, the, the governor of Michigan you know, was going to be kidnapped. Uh, that's just, it was sort of otherworldly, but they've got to, you know, can't wait just to react. They need to, to preempt some of this stuff and, and know what's coming. Uh, I think we will start seeing that more and more. My fear is over the next uh, few days or next, you know, several days till there's a new administration that may be a little lax. Mm-hmm. Many have characterized this event as a real attack on democracy itself. And on that point, uh, how bad do you think the damage is? Is this something that is going to take years to recover from? Or do you think in the middle of the Biden administration, things will be back to quote unquote normal? It's hard to say. I don't think it'll be going back to normal anytime soon. I, I think we'll get an idea 
over the next couple election cycles, uh, you know, the off-year election in 2022, but all particularly in 24, a lot will depend. I think is if Trump's still, you know, the sort of somehow leading the Republican Party. Uh, a lot of it is going to have to be up to the Republican Party. There's a lot of, you know, longtime Republicans that that really are, have been discouraged by this and are trying to figure out how do they regain control of their party. Uh, so you don't have, you know. It, the party of QAnon and uh, the extremists. Uh, that's a real issue for them. All right, Michael Smolens, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrib.com. Until next time.